0: Good evening. Um, You know, I just, I love being here on Tuesday nights, and the primary reason is because um, it's not that, you know, you open the Word of God and and you have to hear the Word of God from somebody else and be taught the Word of God, but God uses preachers and teachers as vehicles, but the Holy Spirit is the one who actually reaches down to us as individuals. He knows your heart. He knows why you're here, and we're all here for, for a few different reasons, and so I'm trusting tonight um, that God would speak to my heart, that God would speak to your heart. But, you know, let's not kid ourselves. Um, it is the Holy Spirit who is doing the work. And so I praise Him for that. I praise Him that we don't have to congregate in these settings. Uh, we can be by ourselves in our home Bible studies. We can be with our kids reading a children's Bible. We can be in the big service on Sunday mornings listening to some great teaching. But I want you to, to live out 2015, especially here at the mine, maybe coming in as we worship. Again, phenomenal worship tonight. That we would just go before God and say, Holy Spirit, uh, I'm, you know, I'm desperate. I'm desperate to be taught. And it's not for head knowledge. It's not because um, our kids are going to give us gold stars for knowing some more things about Paul or Peter or Peter or Paul or Mary or whatever, right? It's because our kids see us act out the Bible. It's because our our coworkers see us demonstrate to them the love of Christ. It's because uh, it's because our enemies see us forgive when we're tempted not to. And that's the Holy Spirit. That's not some slick illustration or um, some catchphrase that we learn and leave here with. So let's just give God the praise when we come in, and when we study, and when we learn, and and maybe you know if if you're in that point where where something is said to you um, because of God's word. Again, as Frankie mentioned, um, you know this is a this is a very unique setting. We had our volunteers meeting last night, and I think someone mentioned um, we just don't find this too often where we can dialogue with each other about God's word in this kind of setting with this large of a group. So my goal in 2015, just so you know, is to make this setting as dialogical as possible. But I need your help with that. Um, So I'll do my part, but please, if God's moving in your heart and there's something you just want to share pertaining to this or maybe something else, um, God's given us all mouthpieces and and I'd encourage us to use them. Um, Okay, with that said, I want to put our runners to use and the way I want to do that tonight is by asking this question as we get started. And I want to revisit just a a couple things in Acts 9, and then we're going to move into Acts 10. Whatever we don't finish tonight in Acts 10, we're going to move through Acts 10 next week. And then um, we're going to try to do a chapter a week so we can get done with Acts uh, by May. That's the goal, okay? Um, The question as we begin tonight, and the runners are going to look for your hands, and they'll go out and take your, uh, your answers to this question is, Pretend I'm a person that needs to know that God exists. Okay, so I'm a person that needs to know that God exists. And you've got five or ten minutes to lay out a foundation for me. And let me put a caveat in here. Um, You can't use the Bible. So we're talking at work or at the mailbox or at the, the neighborhood party or at the shopping mall or wherever. And I know that you believe God exists... And I open the door for five or ten minutes and I ask you to tell me how you know God exists. What would you say? What what you'd say here? We literally have a mic runner right now. So, that's uh, unbelievable. Thank you. How how would you prove God exists if I told you 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 couldn't use the Bible um, to prove that God exists?
1: Most likely by telling them something that has happened in your life that you couldn't have gotten through on your own. Um, My husband and I actually just lost our daughter to Turner's syndrome. Um, I was just over six months pregnant with her, and we um, had to give birth to a stillborn um, little girls with Turner's syndrome only have about a 1% survival rate. And so we thought once we hit the six-month mark that we were, um, the viability rate was much better at that point. Um, But I guess we were wrong. But we definitely couldn't have gotten through that without our church family here at Cornerstone and um, just our faith in God and just um, prayer and the thought that (laughs) that he could just get it, Get us through that without turning to alcohol or drugs or yeah. something else to ease the pain
0: thank you so much for sharing that um, yeah it's our story it's it's we would call that maybe experiential proof and I want to get back to that real real soon so let's hang on to that thought um, and thank you for sharing how else would we know that God exists what else could we discuss what else could we throw into the conversation that could move that person a few degrees closer, everyone right here in the front here, a few degrees closer to at least entertaining that option that there is a God and He exists.
2: One thing for, uh, for a um, atheist uh, to, to bring up to them is uh, just in, in creation, it, it points to there, there has to be some type of a... Creator, even okay. I mean, if you, if you, even if they believe in like you know the Big Bang theory, yeah, it's like there has to be something that that initiated that, and you know, you to to be an atheist, you it requires you, you're saying that you have all knowledge. Yeah, I, I've heard some people say that you know God doesn't believe in atheists because hey, you know, you, you have to know everything about the universe <laughs> right. to first know right. that hey that there is no, the, there is absolutely no possible sure. way. And it's, yeah. you, you have to, you know, cre- creation in, or, excuse me, the, the the universe in and of itself.
0: Good. Excellent. Yeah, and, and and it doesn't even have to be... And I'm posing, framing this question in the, in the mindset of this person isn't a staunch atheist, I- even if they were, but let's just say they're not. And we would call that maybe the... the People call it the cosmological argument or the cosmological proof that there has to be a first cause. And so when we talk about how did things come into existence, no matter how far down you want to get, you have to start with something. And so many atheists will believe in the Big Bang Theory and, and maybe some people in here believe in that and that's fine. But but even if you believe in the Big Bang Theory, you have to take the the particles that were involved in the Big Bang and you have to ask where they come from. And so everything has to go back to a first cause, and the cosmological proof would say that we believe that God is the first cause. And by saying that, we may not be able to prove that, but by believing that the creator of all things is a supreme being, and we call him Yahweh or God, is about as good as you have. So to believe that two particles came together and just exploded, and we as complex human beings came as a result of that, takes as much faith as me to, to believe that this book was written and I believe in it, and the book t- tells me about the God of all creation. There's a couple more. I, I wonder if we could hit on them. I see... Yeah, right here. I don't... You can prove it for yourself, even with uh, this cosmology thing sure. we just talked about. Uh, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that God was the, the first, first thing, but I think you can prove it to yourself... But you can't take your proof and
2: and prove it to somebody else without the Bible. I think yeah, maybe proofs
0: is a strong word. Maybe persuasion or uh, moving someone closer. A whole different argument. Sure. Yeah, presenting presenting an option maybe is a better way to phrase that. Yeah. Uh, you, just for time's sake, there uh, you may have heard of the. Um, it technically it's called the teleological argument, which simply means um, uh, that there is a design and a designer. And so if you take anything that's been designed, it would take a greater amount of faith to say that that thing that was designed came from just a random uh, set of chances just happening to make that thing come together, as complex as it is. And we look at the way technology and science have helped us understand the human body, have helped us understand um, just getting into the details, the minutia of things, and we have to pull back out and, and just kind of just stop and, and pause and just say, wow, Somebody intelligent must have put all that together. I don't know if you've ever even looked inside of a watch, but to look even inside of a watch uh, is fascinating of all the gears and motors and cranks and wheels that have to be placed exactly in the right position just to get the the hands to move around. So the teleological persuasion might be that there has to be a designer to all of this. Uh, There's one called the ontological proof or ontological persuasion, which would simply, and I'm like two questions into that one, philosophically, if you're into that bent, it suggests that because I can think of a God, there must be a God. Um, and it's better for a perfect God to exist than not to exist. And because I can think of a perfect God, there must be the possibility of there being a perfect God. Now, again, you have many questions about what I just said. And so I'm going to move in another direction. Um, I want to get back to this this what was the first response, and that was this experiential proof. And the reason I want to do that is because what we're about to look at tonight, and the day and age we live in, I'm not convinced. Do you guys remember, uh, those of us who have been around for a little while, back in maybe the 70s, and Josh McDowell came out with Evidence That Demands a Verdict, Volumes 1, 2, you know, 14, and And maybe some of us learned all of that, Cliff Connectly and others, um, William Lane Craig, and, and we, we, we gained some of these, like, these, um, arrows to put in our quiver to prove that God exists, you know? We just thought, boy, if I could just prove that God exists, people will fall on their knees and worship Him. And, and I think that wave has kind of, kind of went this way more into, I'm not even sure I care that God exists. I think that we're in more of a, uh, pragmatic society now, more of a laissez-faire society that that isn't bent on being a staunch atheist, like I have to prove God doesn't exist, but more so that I just don't care if he does or doesn't. And then when you couple that with trials and pain that happens to our lives, it seems to that person to add a little bit more fuel to see God really doesn't exist. And guys, I don't want to discount, and I think sometimes we shy away from this because it's subjective. And I get that. Me telling someone that God changed my life isn't going to necessarily move them to the cross. But it does pose a problem in their thinking, which is, how else or why else would I have done what I've done? And maybe we could go around the room and share our stories. Certain for, for Paul, that was the case. Paul is on a... ...on a trajectory that has him not only being successful in persecuting Christians... ...but he's gained uh, some sort of a, a following because of that. And in fact, as he's headed in up to Damascus Road... Um, ...he's on his way to persecute more Christians. So you have to read that account and you have to simply ask... ...what would cause someone who has no, no legitimate, reasonable, rational reason in a few sentences later, to see him actually embracing the very thing he's against. And yet that's what we read. And so Paul is going to be about the business throughout the epistles of not only logically demonstrating that Christ is real and he died for us, but how many times do we read about him interjecting his own story into the story? Because I think Paul believes in... Again, what we would deem as experiential persuasion. That I can't come up with another reason. Maybe even if I could, I would. But all I know is that I was headed down this path. And I was even feeling good about heading down this path. And it's not like I just veered a little bit. But I went all the way down to 180 degrees. And now I'm going down this path. And I'm like a man on fire going down this path. And at some point, I believe that some of the people that came to know Christ through his ministry, it was because of his story, because they sat back and thought, you are the same man who was doing this, and now you're doing this. And if you say that the reason is, is because there is a God who loved you enough to send his son to die for you, then maybe there's something to that. Now, Paul's story isn't the gospel. But it's a representation of what the effect of the gospel. And if you're a Christian here tonight, you have as powerful a story as Paul does. It may not be as glamorous. It may not be as exciting. You may may not have been lowered down in any fish baskets lately. Or you may not have had, you know, been shipwrecked three times. But you have a story of God taking someone that's headed down a path toward hell. Let's just be honest. And now you're on this path that will end eventually one day in glory. Don't ever be afraid to share that story and think, well, it's just not that great of a story. In fact, I'll say this. I'm not even convinced that you always have to share your salvation story. Sometimes I think we're a part of this. I've got to have this great salvation message. But what about those times where... God is just working in your life to the degree where you're sharing with those who need to know the Lord that you honestly can't come up with any other reason as to why certain things are happening other than God. Now, they can come up with reasons themselves. They might be able to come up with coincidences or, well, that might happen to anyone. And you're not trying to... um, debate them on this. You're just simply proclaiming, this is what I know to be true. Sometimes I think we get so bogged down in, I've got to have everything lined up and right before I share something. And guys, I just want to promote tonight, you just need to be a witness of what's happening in your life. And when you're a witness, by way of, I'm just telling you as a witness, this is what I've experienced, it's hard to debate that. Now, you may say, well, you know, other religions have that and and people of other faiths believe probably the same thing. They have a story as well. I get that. I'm not saying this is the end all. But how many times do you and I walk through our day as Christ followers and we do have to conclude, who else but you, God? How did I end up reading this passage on this day when I had this need and the exact word that was written 2,000 years ago met my need right now? How does that happen? How does it happen that I show up on a Sunday morning and I'm just looking for answers because I have a hurt that I'm not necessarily comfortable sharing. But Holy Spirit, you knew that. So you provided the exact song or the exact message. How many of us have had those experiences? Even as you know, soon as last Sunday, we walked out of here, Jennifer and I, just in awe of, God, how cool are you? You are the governor of this universe. You are the master and maker of all things big and small. But you care enough about two people living in Chandler, Arizona, to put forth the exact song we needed to hear about how to deal with trials and how to wrestle through things and put your faith in God. We're, we're listening to songs tonight, and you may think I'm back there taking notes. I'm writing down the lyrics. Oh my, oh my God, he will not delay, my refuge and strength always. And unless you think that that's just a lyric, that's out of Psalm 46.1. God, you are my refuge and my strength. I will not fear, his promise is true. My God will come through always. And, and, and you know, Jennifer and I, right now, we're just we're having a pretty crappy new year, to be honest with you just true confessions we're just struggling right now not with our marriage or but with with outside relationships it's really it's causing sleepless nights and so guys you know god's the first cause and god's the design designer no we just needed to hear i needed to hear that song tonight and believe that god you put that in my path So I would be reminded from your word that you are my refuge and strength. Always. Always. Don't ever discount your story. As I've got to prove everything to everyone. I just need to live out the gospel. And maybe God, if you would be so good as to... Just bring someone to the cross. Maybe just because I made, you know, the, the kind gesture... I shared with them how you moved in my life. I, we're at New Year's and, and my sister-in-law kind of coming close to the gospel, but doesn't really know the gospel. She has a three-year-old little boy, three-year-old little boy. And we got about 20 people in the room and he runs around and, he, and, he, and we're having dinner or whatever. And he runs around, he says, everybody, he goes up to each one of us, three years old, goes up to each one of us and says, fold your hands, fold your hands. So we're all, like, looking at him, like, this has never happened before. So we're just, you know, these little kids running around telling every adult to fold their hands. So we think we're going to play some, like, hot potato game or whatever, you know, and we're just doing this. So we got a picture in the living room, 20 people just doing this. And we're just kind of looking at him like, okay, what's next? You know, we'll, we'll, we'll close our eyes, stand on one foot. And he stands up on this little, like, hammock, little hassock little thing or whatever, you know. And he stands up and he says, I'm going to pray now. Dear God, thank you for Christmas. Thank you for presents. Thank you for love. Thank you for, and they start to mumble a few things, you know, and thank you. Amen. His mother needs to come to know Jesus. And I'm just driving home thinking, you you can't script that. That's experiential proof. That's experiential persuasion to say to someone later on in life, I don't know why it happened, but none of us planned that. I believe God planned it. And we're going to see in the scriptures here some things that I think God miraculously but sovereignly did in Paul's life where there's no other option but to believe. It's God. And that's happening with you too and me. Comment, question, yeah.
1: I'd just like to go back to what I had said previously. Um, Through that, the girls at my work watched me go through all of that, and I never complained. I never cried. I stayed positive when I was at work. Yeah. And surprisingly, there's a gal down the hall that works with me who is here doing a women's Bible study tonight, and she wouldn't have been here. I brought her to Cornerstone um, during that time, and that's just an amazing thing, that just positivity and watch, others watching God flow yeah. through us. Yeah. Just, and I brought another girl on Christmas Eve who has no religion at all. She grew up in the church and considers herself atheist. So just being she faithful. wants to start bringing her son. So Amen. Yeah, you're um, just being
0: faithful. So thank yeah, you for doing that. That's what it that. comes down to. Yeah. And, and so here's the, here's the fun part, guys. Combine your experience... Combine that with, add some knowledge, right? Add some facts and figures and and truths about God's word. You're a powerful player for God. You are powerful. Because now you're not just the experiential, fluffy person, right? And so now you're not just the experiential, I don't know why things happen. Just God is, you know, great and he loves me. But now you're combining, and here's what the word of God says, and here's here are the players in the Word of God, and I don't know I'm some scholar or something, but I know enough to know this. Now you're a powerful player. And let me just say, let me just say this though, and because this is going to probably sound weird to some of us, so let me just get on my soapbox for just one more minute. I said that this is your story, and I want to just kind of, you know, gently come alongside of you and say, we need to stop. Boy, I want to be careful. I don't even know if I should even say this. It's This is not your story. I, I've heard that, I think in the church culture today, it's just such a popular catchphrase. Well, your story is about you and how stories make your story more chapters written in your book of life and your journey about your story. And, you know, that's kind of the, the terminology we're using in churches today. And I think sometimes when we do that, guess what we lose, guys? We lose the fact that this is not a story about you. This is a story about God. This is God's story. Okay? So, so, so hear me on this and, and be forgiving if, if I offend you here, but this is about a theocentric story. Meaning God is at the center of this story. If this is not anthrocentric. And sometimes I think when we talk about our stories, we make it all about who? Us. So just, I just want to kind of nudge those of us that really get caught up in what's my story and what's the next chapter of my story and maybe we need to just, and, and maybe it is just maybe vernacular here and maybe we're just nuancing things, but maybe we do need to make a mental switch of, God, this is your story. You are writing in time for us, your story. You're revealing your story to us who are caught up in uh, time. But, but God, I never want to replace your story with my story. So if all I'm doing is sharing my story with people where I'm the focus of the story, then I really need to just kind of, I need to make that adjustment maybe this year And tell people about my story within the context of God's story. Because guys, the reality is, God doesn't need Paul any more than he needs a hole in the head. God doesn't need Peter any more than he needs to gain weight. You know, I mean, God doesn't need you. God said, I want you. And so I'm going to go get you. And as I'm getting you, not just saving you, but throughout the every day after I've saved you, as I continue to get you, tell people about it. But it's God's glory that we're sharing, not ours. So, so, so as I was kind of prepping this, I just thought, man, I'm going down this path once again of here's my story and here's my story and here's the next chapter of my life. And this is about God. ...and what he's doing in our lives, okay? And that's, that's true for Paul here. So, so, let me just kind of refresh this. We took some time off over the break... ...and, and uh, Tim Beale did a great job... And, uh, and, ...and he ended in chapter 9. Remember I said uh, way back in August... ...that the title of this book is The Acts of the Apostles... ...when really the primary focus could be the Acts of Paul and Peter... Um, in the last half, especially of Acts, starting with chapter 9, moving all the way down to chapter 28, we focus on the lives of Paul and Peter primarily. God decided, for whatever reason, within his sovereign will, that these two men I want to highlight in, in this book, this transitional book, from the birth of the new church, because I want you to see what I'm doing in their lives. And that doesn't mean we don't see other people in here, and it doesn't mean that other people are discounted. But I, before I get to Peter, because Peter's all of Acts 10, I wanted to just start and backtrack a little bit with Paul because he is such a major player. And once we get past Peter, back into Paul's missionary journeys, I don't want us to get there without just being refreshed, I guess, as to how this even started. When Paul gets saved, if you look at chapter 9 then and go down to verse 17 uh, and then into 18... I just want to mention a few things and then we'll move on to chapter 10. Do you believe that God's plan is best as you're living your life right now? See, guys, it's one thing to get saved. And Paul's salvation story, boy, you know, he trumps almost all of us. I mean, he's blinded and um, he's on his way to persecute Christians and then God changes his direction literally and, uh, and immediately. And I have to wonder at some point if Paul was wondering to himself as he got going in his, in his journey with God, if, if, if this was God's best. And the reason I say that is because of some things in the text in chapter 9 that have me thinking, and this is probably true for a lot of us, I'm going to trust you, God, but I've got to be honest with you. I wouldn't have written it this way. I get the fact, right? You want me to live for you, and, and, but, but the way things are happening, the way we're, you're folding it out day after day, I'm not sure, I'm not sure that, that you haven't just kind of set things in motion and maybe have stepped onto someone else's life. Because I feel like, boy, I just, I got to trust that you're good here, God. I got to trust that you know what you're doing. It just doesn't seem that way on the ground level. Paul gets saved and in verse 18 it says, and immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales and he regained his sight and he arose and was baptized and he took some food and was strengthened. Okay, so this is the beginning of his journey. By the way, if you're ever, if you're ever dating someone and you want to get out of it, tell them the scales have fallen from your eyes and now you see clearly. That happened to me, actually, and that's the only reason I say that. Um, so, uh, not from Jennifer, but from someone else long ago. And, uh, you know, what do you say when someone says, the scales have fallen from my eyes and we're not to be together? I didn't know at that time she was actually quoting Acts 9.18. So, the first time I read it years later, I thought, that's where she got that from. Oh, Sharon. Sharon. Now for several days, it says, in 19, he was with the disciples who were at Damascus and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue saying he is the Son of God. Verse 21, and all those hearing him continued to be amazed and they were saying, is this not he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on his name and who had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound for the, before the chief priests? But Paul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. So we read that and we think... What's so hard about that? It sounds like God changed his life and now God has set him on a path of success and fame and, and reasoning with people. And I'm not going to turn there for time's sake, but in the book of Galatians, in chapter 1, Paul recalls to the church of Galatia that there were three years that he spent in Arabia after he went to Damascus. And he doesn't say it here, Luke doesn't say it in the book of Acts, but most theologians and commentators think... That probably before verse twenty three, somewhere between verses twenty-two and twenty-three is that time period. And one of the things God did with Paul probably because of his resume prior to becoming a Christian. See, one of the things we don't, you know, don't don't lose this, guys. Whatever happened to you prior to coming a belief becoming a believer, I think God Accounts for that. He uses that. In other words, if I am really good with numbers and I can just calculate things in my head, and then, then I become a Christian, I don't lose that. Like I don't, I don't just stop, you know, knowing how to add because I know Jesus. I just now add for God's glory, you know. And so, so, so Paul has a resume of being a Pharisee and knowing a lot, and he's just really intelligent. And God's certainly going to use that in his life. Uh, really, really smart guy. And so we think sometimes, well, you know, that's how Paul starts and that's how he finishes. But then he says in the book of Galatians, there were three years that I spent in Arabia, and most people think that he spent that time pretty much in in with a very small group of people, almost alone. You'll recall that Jesus did a similar thing before he started his public ministry. Uh, you'll recall that Moses... Um, killed a man, and then he went away for a season before God used him. God has this pattern, I think, at sometimes where he wants to get us by ourselves before he sets us on a path. So maybe, just maybe, if you're feeling that season where I don't feel like things are moving here, God. I feel like I'm at a standstill. I feel like this is just kind of going day after day. Remember, Joshua was in the desert for 40 years. And then he was able to lead the nation into the promised land. Maybe, just maybe, God's got something planned for you. And what God's trying to do at this moment is get your attention. You have the skill set. You got the chops. You have the intellect. You have the relational skills. You have what it takes. God just needs to get a hold of you so that we always remember who comes first. And I think maybe before God sets Paul out, Because Paul's not going to have a success in terms of everyone's going to love him. In fact, physically, his body will bear that. And I think that God had to get Paul alone for a little while to say to him, this is going to be a rough ride here, pal. This is going to be a journey that, you know, I will get the glory from. But it's going to take quite the individual to handle what you're about to handle. Yes, you have the skill set. Yes, you have the intellect. Yes... But you're going to experience things here you've never experienced before. And I just need to make sure you're, you're grounded. And then we get to verse 23, and look what it says. And, and when many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted together to do away with him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were also watching the gates day and night, so they might put him to death. But his disciples took him by night, and they let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a large basket. And again... Most people think that that basket was used in, they they did use these kinds of baskets when they went out to fish. And so there'd be really no reason to think it might not be this large basket, you know, that doesn't have any fish in it now. But that's what it's used for. Now, again, be a guy that's got, you know, a PhD. Be a girl that's got, you know, a resume that has 20 years worth of experience in a field of your choice. And you're the resident expert in that field one day. And the next day, you're being lowered down the side of a wall in a basket. So I think that God took Paul and took his story and said, not only do I need to spend time with you here, but you're going to start the story in, a, in, in humility. Not that, I'm, not that I'm humiliating you, but I need you to see that there's no boundaries here just because of who you are. If that makes sense. Just because you have all this training, just because you know more than a lot of people, you're not beyond me lowering you through the gates in a fish basket or a large basket. Right? So don't ever think that I've earned the right, God, not to go through and then fill in the blank. If you've earned the right, Paul could come to your party and one-up you with his resume. Right? And so let's not ever get to the point where we think... I'm untouchable in that area, God. I can't get my hands dirty in that area because I've done all of this and I've earned the right not to. If anyone really had that to champion, it would be Paul. And here we have, fairly early on in his ministry, they're lowering him down a wall in a basket to get him out of town. The third thing I see, so he's alone for a little while, he's humble. The third thing I see is this, in verse 26 in terms of Paul's story being told uh, early on in his ministry. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he was, listen to this, he was trying to associate with the disciples. And what are the next few words here, verse 26? And they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. He's going to the very people that he needs to find companionship with, and they are backing off. Probably, you know, naturally so. You've given me no reason to trust you're a, you're a wolf in sheep's clothes right now. I don't know if you're saved or not. I mean, you say you are, and you, you know, but maybe this is just a bait and switch here. So the very people that you need to find fellowship with are backing away from you. And guys, again, human nature tells me this. Some of us in the room are very extremely confident. We know ourselves. We love ourselves. We get up in the morning and think, you know, I don't need anyone or I'm good with stuff. We all need to be liked. We all have that feeling of of community that I care what you think about me. I need to have that feeling of fellowship, especially amongst believers. Maybe if non-believers want to throw rocks and compare and, you know, and just one-up me and stuff. But amongst the body of Christ... There needs to be that bond. Regardless of who's the prettiest, smartest, strongest, wealthiest, there needs to be that feeling of we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And the very guy that probably at this point needs it the most, people say, listen, until you prove yourself kind of thing. And isn't it amazing that in the very next verse, God provides someone for Paul named Barnabas to say, I got you. It's going to take him a little while. Listen, you hurt a lot of people. <laughs> you know, this family over here had their uncle taken away. This family got destroyed by you. And you hurt some people, Paul. And they're they're not, you know, this whole thing of forgive and forget. Just give them some time. So right off the bat, Paul is embracing this new way of life. In a way that I think has him looking up to God saying, really? I mean... It could be a little easier than this, God. And what he doesn't know quite yet is... ...what God wants to do with him... ...and is going to do through him. He has no idea at this point... ...how much God is going to use him. He's, he's the most prolific writer of our New Testament. Not yet... ...but he's going to be. I wonder, I just wonder at this point... ...where Paul is looking at God early on in his ministry if he started the, the train of complaining that so many of us try to do, I get it, God, but why? I get it, but, you know, let's change this. I understand, God, but I would I want to move this over here. Maybe if we just took the position, maybe, God, this is for a reason. We'd be less apt to just immediately complain and gripe and and maybe we can take a step back and say, God, The good God that I praise when times are good is the good God I need to praise when times aren't good. The God that I worship when I lift my hands up because I came into church Sunday and I was healthy and my family's good and there's no broken relationships is the same God I need to hold my hands up to and praise in the same way, if not with more fervor, when times are difficult and I'm questioning things and I'm not being liked and I'm being humbled. And Food for thought. Okay, so that's, I just want to start that that as we move into the 2015, that's who Paul is right now. And God is just going to just wow him uh, over the next, uh, what is that, 20 chapters or so. And we get to be a part of that, we get to watch that play out, okay? All right, so with the time we have left, let's jump over to chapter 10 because Tim covered the rest of this. And in chapter 10, I want to start with this, because we talked about God and Paul, now let's talk a little bit about God and Peter. Two very different people. Um, I I view Paul as this, you know, educational, great intellect, um, knows his stuff, feels very comfortable reasoning and debating... I see Peter as the same kind of guy, loves to debate, loves to reason. But have you ever been around those people, like, sometimes they back into arguments because, you know, they just talk enough and they figure it out along the way and they're just loud. And, I, and they got so much energy and you just love to be around them. But every now and then they're sticking their foot in their mouth. They don't really know, you know, what they're saying, but they keep saying it. And, and I say that because we're going to see in chapter 10 and, and throughout the, the rest of the book, God used Peter, uses Peter in, in amazing ways. But Peter, even, oh, a few verses into chapter 10, does this does, falls into a, a repeat pattern of what he's known to be the kind of person he is. And you'll see what I mean in just a moment. Two things I want to note here in the first few verses of chapter 10, and that is this. Guys, don't ever forget this, that God is really good at multitasking. God is really good at setting up a situation here getting it all worked out and using the players he wants to and moving things and building relationships, <laughs> saving people. And at the same time, he's got something going on over here. Doing stuff and moving around. And, and he's going to orchestrate a few days later, a few weeks later, a few months later, maybe a few decades later. These two movements that he's created... And he's going to blow them up as they cross paths. And do something unbelievable for his glory. God is a great multitasker. When you think God is working in your life and he's focused on you... There are probably a couple million people at that very same moment... That are championing that same thought. That God is working in me and he's doing something in me. And and that's why... Two or three thousand of us can leave on a Sunday morning thinking that message was for me only. Like, God, you were speaking just to me, and God's saying, Yeah, I was speaking just to you. And I was speaking just to her. And I was speaking just to them. God is a gr- He's great at doing that. I think, you know, subjective or speculation, I don't, you know, but it's certainly I can speak with a little bit of authority verse, based on verses uh, 1 through 16. But I think that what god is going to delight in when we're all together in glory is kind of unveiling the whole story and that may take what a couple million years i don't know kind of tell us how it all fit together cuz i know a lot of us i certainly have questions god why why this why this happen to this person or me or you know why did i meet this person or why did she do this or he do this or and i got to trust that god's got this thing he's got it guys He's, he's actively involved, even when it doesn't seem like it. For instance, certain man named at, at Caesarea named Cornelius, centurion of what was called the Italian cohort, uh, he, devout man, one who feared God with all his household, gave many alms, gave um, many gifts of charity, if you will, to the Jewish people, and prayed to God continually. Lots of discussion, um, and I'm not sure if we want to, how far we want to go with this, about who Cornelius is. Because you can have one of two thoughts here, and I'll just lay them out for you, and then you can decide on your own and come back, and, and you can tell me which one is right. Because so, I'm not exactly sure at this point. Some people believe that Cornelius, at this point, because of the words that are used here, verse 2, he's a devout man, he's one who fears God with all his household... And he gives many gifts of charity to Jewish people and he prays to God continually. Well, who does that sound like? Let me just ask this. What kind of person is that? I mean, certainly, at the very minimum, it's a religious person. But if he was just a religious person, I don't know. I think the text might say something like, you know, he was a part of the Italian cohort and he was a religious man. Or he was a man of religion or something like that. But Luke goes on kind of at length to say, no, this is, let me tell you about Cornelius. Or, yeah, Cornelius. Devout man. Fears God. Prays continually. Uh, When there are opportunities to give to the Jews, he does. And and you'll learn a little bit later on, not just him, but his whole household. Oh, verse 2, yeah, with his whole household. He wasn't, this wasn't a closet religious guy. He got his whole family involved. Now, let's keep in mind this. Um, The book of Acts is a book of transition. And a lot of things that happen in Acts are unique. They're they're not universal applications by way of this is always the pattern. Um, Some people call it like prescriptive. Like this is the way it should happen for everyone all the time. Right When we share the gospel, yes, we share different, you know, how we all came to Christ. But the gospel message is universal. No matter the language, the culture, the race, everyone needs to know that Jesus died for them. And they need to believe in that to become a believer, to be saved. That's universal. Well, here, well, I, I say that because what the debate is, is who is Cornelius before Peter gets to him? Is he... So your options are this, so just so you know. Option A is, Cornelius is what, what we might call um, part of the Old Testament saints, for lack of a better term. That before Christ, for the new covenant, you have people like Abraham or Moses or David, where God says that they were righteous people, that they feared him. And so it doesn't say that they believed in Jesus Christ because Christ hadn't come yet. So we believe that will Abraham be in heaven? Yes. Why is he in heaven? Well, it's not because somebody shared the gospel with him as we define the gospel today. And so the scriptures in Hebrews 11 and then throughout in Genesis 12 and 15, we see that Abraham had a relationship with God. And then God seems to show us in the Old Testament certain individuals that he not only has relationships with, but they were righteous individuals. And so some people think Cornelius was that kind of a person where he knew enough to know, I need this. this. Like I know the Yahweh of the Old Testament. I believe in him. I fear him. Um, I act accordingly. The only thing that he's missing at this point ...is a uh, revelation of Jesus Christ. I was talking to a co-worker today and I said... ...let me just ask you this. If Cornelius died after verse 2... ...where do you think he'd go? And the co-worker said... Um, ...I don't even know if they skipped a beat... ...they said heaven... So I'm, you know, kind of playing this out. And I said, well, why would you say that he'd go to heaven? And they said, because because of verse 2. Because of the way he's described in verse 2. The way he's described in verse 2 is a lot of the same phrasing that Old Testament saints were described as. And you believe that they're in heaven. So why wouldn't he be in heaven? And what do, you think my aunt, what do you think my response to him was when he said, why wouldn't you think he's in heaven? What, what, what might I respond? Because he didn't or hasn't done what? He needs to know Christ, yeah. So we got into this fascinating discussion and I, I'm here to, to just confess to you, I guess. I don't have the answer because we have the rest of the story, and so it's kind of a moot point anyway. Unless you believe that he wasn't a Christian, but he was just religious. Uh, we see that in people in the churches today, that we have religious people in churches, but they don't know Christ, and he, they're just religious. I'm not going to pretend I, I have the the final say up here, um, but I leave that with you as two options who is cornelius and i want you to give it maybe 10 or 15 percent of thinking and then you can kind of make your opinion and solidify it or do what you need to do but then we're going to move on because regardless of whether you think he was just a religious person that wouldn't have gone to heaven or he was a god-fearing man that just needed to know jesus but if he had died he would have gone to heaven the fact is God says to Peter, so God's got Cornelius doing this stuff over here. Angel shows up in verse three, ninth hour of the day, saw, sees an angel who had just come to him and said, Cornelius, and fixing his gaze upon him, he said, with much being alarmed, he said, what is it, Lord? And he said, your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now there's another piece of the puzzle that people believe that he was an Old Testament saint, if you will or had the faith of an Old Testament saint, they championed that verse as well. Whose prayers does God hear? And so his prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God, and now dispatch some men to Joppa, and send for a man named Simon, who is also called Peter. He's staying with a certain tanner named Simon, whose house is by the sea. And when the angel who was speaking to him had departed, he summoned up two of his servants and a devout soldier, of those who were in constant attendance upon him, And after he explained everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. So God's got this thing going on over here with Cornelius. Angel shows up. This guy's a devout man. But clearly, regardless of what position you take, God wants Cornelius to know Jesus Christ. He doesn't want him to die prior to knowing Jesus Christ. And so while God is doing this with Cornelius, he's also multitasking over here with Peter. And Cornelius and Peter don't know each other. In fact, prior to God invading Peter's life here, we'll read in just a moment, Peter would just assume not really have anything to do with Cornelius. Because of this mentality that Peter's got right now, and this is why I said Peter's just kind of this brazen, he loves to share the gospel, but he still has some hang-ups. And one of them is, I'm not to associate with guys like Cornelius. Have you ever heard the phrase... Um, The ground is level at the foot of the cross. I love that quote. I don't know who said it. Um, So if you made it up, thank you for for making that up. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. God's about to show Peter, listen, I'm like Circle K, man. I'm open to everyone. 24-7, I want people to come to know me, Peter. And you need to start losing your religious hang-ups. In order for that to happen. And so that's what, that's what we're going to see in, in, in the text next week. And I want to, I guess, just kind of leave us with this application question. And maybe you can ask God to help settle this with you. Do I have hang-ups? God, do I? I'm not going to say it out loud. And I'm not going to, you know. Truth be told, though, God. I'm not sure that I'm, I would be a big fan if a homeless person came in and sat next to me in church. If, if a, a thug came and sat next to me at church. If somebody covered in tattoos just came and sat next to me. If someone dripping with fine jewelry came and sat next to me. If the prettiest woman on the planet came and sat next to me. I, I just, I don't know if I'm okay with that. I want you to wrestle with that. Because God's about to hit Peter upside the head here. And next week I just, I want us to be Peter. And if there is a person, a people group, maybe a particular individual. I know in my life, based on what's been happening lately. There's some people that I think. You don't have to save them if you don't want to. God. You know, one of those thoughts like, you know, it's, it's up to you. I'm not going to fight it. There's a lot of people out there. The, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Let's close in prayer. Jesus, thank you for tonight god I know that uh, Holy Spirit you have amazing abilities to take some confusing thoughts or some simple words and and um, translate them into powerful messages because of your word into people's lives and so maybe maybe that could happen tonight maybe God you could take Acts chapter nine and what Paul is going through right now maybe you can take what Cornelius is experiencing or Peter's experiencing and Maybe, you know, just showcase to to the people in this room, to myself, that you're active and you're involved and you have a plan and praise you that we're a part of it. Maybe this week, God, some of us just need to step back and really wrestle with, um, do I have any hang-ups or grudges with anyone that would prevent me being absolutely enthralled that they would come to know you? And if that's so, would you work on my life this week? Would you work on my life so much so that when I think of that person or that group or that, uh, that race or that culture or, or whatever, that I would just be, my heart would, would leap for joy thinking that you might bring them into the kingdom. And maybe, just maybe, you might use someone who right now is struggling with that to be that, that uh, spark in that person's life. We would praise you forever, God, if uh, you, would, you would do that. We love you, Father. Keep us uh, safe this week. Allow us to come back next week and enjoy more of your word. In Jesus' name, amen.